It was a wacky and wild weekend in the United States of America, I would say. We had a balloon that terrorized the country over the past few days. I'm not a political person. I guess this isn't really political. I'm not going to make it political. Uh, I just thought it was funny. It's a balloon, you know, and the fact that a balloon, granted, you know, it could be doing any number of things. Okay, I'm not going to say that. We shot it down. USA, USA, we shot it down. We got a, con- a confirmed kill against a Chinese air, a Chinese balloon. That was cool. It was cool to see that, I guess. It was cool to see a balloon blow up from a F-22 Raptor or whatever it was. But man, the one thing that I will say from this past weekend, we may inevitably be going down just as a world, you know, we could all just be on the brink. It could just be all coming to an end pretty soon. Who knows? I mean, nobody really knows, but let's just say we were all, it was all coming to an end. It would be very scary, obviously, but man, the people on Twitter, the people on TikTok would be having a blast. We got a ton of great content from just that balloon flying over somebody's house in North Carolina. We got so much good stuff from that. It was awesome. We got great memes. We got great, uh, just great videos. Great memes came out of it. It was it was a little bit scary to see China, you know, checking up on us. A little bit, even though like most of the apps that we use and most of the products that we use are from China, but to see that they were very upfront about it with a balloon gave us some great content. I mean, we got some great content out of it. And, uh, you know, that was like the big, I mean, we got some big sports stories, obviously, but that was kind of the, that was kind of the commanding situation over the weekend was this, uh, this balloon flying over most of America at this point. And, uh, it, it just created a lot of really good content. And the thing I realized out of all of this was the world may be ending all around us, it could it could end before we know it. It could it might just end, but you know what? We're gonna have a good time on, on the social media platforms. We're gonna find a way to have a good time. If there's one one overwhelming positive to have out of social media, I would say that you can find a way to find the positive out of basically anything. Uh, you can you can basically you know you could create. Great content out of a very scary situation, even though, you know, scary is probably a strong word, but, uh, you know, maybe a, a, an unsettling situation. Uh, there is as, as unsettling as a balloon can be. Social media, Twitter, they will find the funny part of that and make it may and just create something incredible out of it. And that's what we got out of this weekend with the balloon. It was awesome. It was it was a good weekend to be on Twitter and on TikTok or wherever you get your uh, your world class memes from. That's it was a good place to be for for all of that. Um, that wasn't even. I mean, the the balloon maybe wasn't even the biggest news of the weekend. Maybe for most people, but for some people, it was uh it was Kyrie Irving. He got traded, ladies and gentlemen. He got traded from the Nets just when we thought the Nets were starting to really figure things out. It looked like they were going to start. Becoming a real problem in the East now that Kevin Durant was healthy, Kyrie Irving was uh, was healthy as well, and they were playing well together. Ben Simmons, you know, that doesn't look like it's going to pan out very well. But at the very least, those two were healthy. They were playing well. Kyrie Irving's like, I don't want to be here no more. See you later. And that's what happened. In less than like 48 hours, he announces he doesn't want to be in Brooklyn anymore. And uh, then he's gone. He's gone before anybody really has a time to react to the idea of, it was like Jordan Day. It, it was it was Michael Jordan Day or whatever, 2-3-23. And the announcement came out from Kyrie Irving that he wanted to be traded or from Kyrie Irving's camp or whatever that he would like to be traded. And uh, then he was gone. And then he got traded to Dallas, to the Dallas Mavericks. 
uh, with Luka Doncic. We'll talk a little bit more about how that should work out in a little bit. Uh, that was just kind of a preview because that was that was some big news over the weekend. I don't think a lot of people expected that he had his issues with Brooklyn, uh, but I it seemed like for the most part that had kind of ironed out. Uh, over as time had gone on uh, because the team had gotten better. They started playing better. They looked like they were going to be a real problem in the East. Uh, that team as a whole was going to be a real problem in the East. And then all of a sudden, Kyrie Irving's like, ah, I don't want to be here anymore, so I'm leaving. And uh, yeah, here we are. And I'll break it down a little bit more here in just a little bit. First, on the day that I posted last week, literally the day that I posted last week, I made my prediction about Tom Brady. I said, there's no way. Okay, after the season he had, didn't have a great team season, but he had a pretty decent individual season. He didn't play terrible. He played pretty well. I mean, for a 40-whatever, six-year-old man, uh, he played as good as anybody at that age ever has ever played any sport uh, at that age, really. Uh, and um, I was wrong. I thought he was going to go to the Raiders. I thought he was going to go link up with uh, with his, his former offensive coordinator, Coach McDaniel and uh, Josh McDaniels. And I thought he was going to go to Vegas. He was going to go play with Devontae Adams. And I thought that was going to be the best wide receiver he had ever had. But guess what? I was wrong. I'm 0 for 2 in predictions, in most recently in predictions that I can think of off the top of my head. Probably worse. My, my record is probably not great when it comes to predictions. But guess what? Tom Brady announces retirement. He's sitting on a very beautiful, pristine beach, uh, more than likely in Miami. I think it was confirmed that it was Miami. He's sitting on a pristine beach. He woke up at like 7 a.m. probably, because that's the TB12 method. Woke up, actually not 7 a.m., probably woke up at 4 a.m., the TB12 method. Woke up at 4 a.m., probably benched like 280 or something ridiculous like that, and then got out to the, the beach, looked up at the sunset like we all love to think that we would do. I guess the sunrise, excuse me. He looked at the sunrise, at the, at the waves crashing down on the beach in front of him, whipped out his phone and said, I'm done, guys. Uh, I think uh, I think I'm going to retire. Uh, this one's for real this time. That's kind of what he said. But you know what, Tom, Mr. Brady, you know what, Tom Brady, I I'm not going to be fooled for a second. I'm not going to be fooled for a second time. It's not going to happen. I don't believe you, Tom. Okay, I don't believe you. I think come fall, you're going to miss it. And the fact is, they Fox signed him to this 10-year, ridiculous $375 million uh, broadcasting deal. I would take that as well, obviously, but he's not, he's not starting in the fall of 2023. He's starting in the fall of 2024. I think come the fall of 2023, when he starts seeing you know football get back into action during spring training, part of me thinks he's going to miss it a little bit, and maybe even... Maybe even then he's like, I could still do this. I could still do this if I wanted to. I, I Part of me also thinks that maybe this is some sort of, uh, I mean, a, a guy like that, This after the season he had as a team, I mean, uh, we're talking about a guy that played 20 years, 20 plus years in the NFL, had never really known an unsuccessful season up until this season in terms of overall uh, success, not necessarily just winning the Super Bowl, but overall team success from week one to week 17, week 18 now, uh, all the way into the playoffs. We we hadn't really seen a season in which Tom Brady uh, struggled as a, with a team as much as this one. Uh, this was by far his worst season in recent memory as a with his team, finished 8-9. and nine. They got into the playoffs, but it didn't matter. They got dominated by the Cowboys in the first round of the playoffs. Um and we hadn't seen Tom Brady really struggle like that as a uh, as a player with his team going into the playoffs. And I think that stacked along with 
the uh, implosion, if you will, going on at home, uh, his his whole family situation, going through a divorce with children. I can't even imagine having to try to play through something like that. Um, I, I think that more obviously uh, probably had a huge effect on how he uh, is looking at the entire situation of football, of playing football. Maybe he looked at it as uh, his life beforehand, but now that he sees... Um, the life outside of the game kind of falling apart. Maybe he has a different outlook on the game itself rather than it being an actual lifestyle. Maybe he's looking at it as more a game and he can improve his life off the field as he becomes a broadcaster and maybe more focus on that. I don't know what that looks like. I mean, I don't know if that looks like, uh, you know, trying to get Giselle back or whatever the whole the whole spiel. I mean, I'm not going to comment on uh, that aspect of it. That more than likely isn't going to happen, given how Giselle reacted to his retirement. Um, I mean, her comment on the post that uh, Tom Brady was retiring on Tom Brady's. I think he posted it on Instagram, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Instagram. Tom Brady posted uh, he's retiring for good, uh, basically in that video. And then in the comment section, Giselle said, "I mean, this was this must have hurt Tom. Tom must have been Tom must have felt very bad by what she said." She said, "Quote: Wishing you only wonderful things in this new chapter of your life." Bunchin uh, Giselle wrote in the comments along with a prayer hands uh, emoji. That that had to have hurt. I, I that 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 must have hit right in the old heart. I can't imagine. Having to play something as like focused as football, where you really have to be, especially at the quarterback position, you really have to be living that game, the the game of football, whether it be studying film or, or what have you, you know, remembering the playbook, you know, going through practices, getting all that stuff down, especially at the quarterback position. That is a twenty four hour, you know, at the very least a sixteen hour a day job where you're really trying to be. At the, especially at his level, be the very best, which he is the greatest of all time. There's no doubt about it. I mean, nobody can really even argue with that at that point. At this point, um, and then also trying to balance that with a life with a uh, with with a wife at home who is also trying to get back into. She's very much sacrificed a large portion of her career to try to you know uh, keep things steady at home while he has been uh, off playing football for most of his career. And again, a sixteen hour a day job. Uh, you're working weekends essentially. You don't see your family or your kids very often during the season. Giselle has had to put her career on hold, and I can't imagine having to live through that while playing football and then have to go through a divorce and play football at the same time and the same goes for Giselle I can't imagine what she must have been going through that entire time having to put her career on hold so that he could experience what he's wanted to experience live out his dream even though Giselle clearly has had you know dreams of her own becoming a model somebody who uh, has had a more successful in terms of earnings more successful career Giselle has had a more successful in terms of total career earnings than Tom Brady has as a model um and for her to have to put that on hold while he has got to live out his dream and she has had to kind of sit on the sidelines and wait for their kids to grow up and, and be the mother that she needs to be at home. That's not easy. I can't imagine that part's easy either. And I don't know, the whole thing is just a sh- it, it was it was a weird thing to kind of watch go th- watch Tom Brady go through and then Giselle go through throughout the entire uh, throughout the entire season and it was just kind of a, a a weird a story to have on the back burner that I don't know if a lot of people focused enough on when it came to a lot of the stuff that was happening on the field for uh, for Tom Brady because I can't imagine having to do that um 
while playing football as well. That, that must have been an impossible task. And now Tom Brady, I think maybe that uh, that came with a acknowledgement of uh, knowing that he was just playing a game for a certain amount of time versus his life off the field is going to be forever, uh, if you will. You know, with the with his kids, with his wife, and um, you know his ex wife. Now, well, we'll see where this all ends up and what Tom Brady looks like, I guess, in the broadcaster's booth and uh, where he goes with his personal life. Just a quick, just a quick, uh, a quick idea though. ABC, NBC, I don't know who does it. ABC, NBC, CBS, whoever it is. ABC, I'm pretty sure. The Bachelor, Tom Brady. Just an idea, just throwing it out there. But can you imagine Tom Brady handing out the roses every Sunday? Just thought of that. There you go. Perfect idea for Tom Brady. Do a bachelor season. Doesn't even, I mean, most of them don't last anyways. Just do a bachelor season. Find your next one for the next time for, for the next one that you're looking to marry through the bachelor bachelor. Will be, that, that would be the biggest bachelor ever guaranteed. Cause then you get sports fans to watch. Okay. Sports fans would watch the bachelor with Tom Brady. I would watch the bachelor with Tom Brady. Who wouldn't? That's partially a joke. Okay. I don't know if that's a great idea, but would be still, it still would be pretty cool. Um, all right, let's move on here. Tom Brady. He's retired. I can't believe that happened. Literally. As I was record, like after right after I was done recording last week, he announced his retirement. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" So I had to wait like a full week to talk about that. So here we are. Now we're we were talking about Tom Brady, and we're going to move on now. Though we are going to move on. Let's move on. Talk a little bit more about Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving trading traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Um, Luka Doncic, one of the very best players on planet Earth right now. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. Um, borderline MVP is probably pushing MVP. I mean, MVP discussions as much as you want to have them kind of useless this time of year, but, but just looking at the MVP odds, um, today, Nikola Jokic is the favorite to win. Once again, he's at plus 110. Uh, Joel Embiid's behind him at plus 300. And then Luca's at plus 800, uh, behind Joel Embiid. So it's not, uh, you know, the best, I mean, you know, it's not the, the the greatest thing to be gauging on, I guess, essentially, just because a lot can happen in half a season, obviously. Um, but Nikola Jokic looking at a three-peat with how good the Nuggets are playing and then how good he is playing as well. Joel Embiid in there as well as uh, one of the favorites to win MVP. And then Luka Doncic, a favorite to win the MVP, or one of the favorites to win the MVP as well. He's still, he is a little bit behind Joel Embiid, and the Mavericks haven't played. Uh, they have not necessarily lived up to ex- expectations so far this season, but uh, if they are able to turn it around, then Luka obviously would be up there as well. Um, but with that being said, this trade for Kyrie Irving, does it make them better um, uh, immediately? I don't know. That's It's so hard to say. I mean, you know, I, we won't really know, obviously, until the first few games are played, but... Dallas losing Dorian Finney-Smith, one of their uh, only true small forwards that they have. He was a decent defensive player. Somebody that will make a decent impact on Brooklyn, Dorian Finney-Smith will. Um, That's an important loss for them, I think. Spencer Dinwiddie, also an important loss. He goes back to Brooklyn, was originally a Brooklyn player, goes back to Brooklyn. And then uh, Brooklyn also receives a second-round pick in 2027 and 2029, and then a first-round pick in 2029, an unprotected 2029 first-round pick. So... They get worse defensively, I would say. It's a backcourt that is very crowded. Uh, Luka Doncic, in terms of usage percentage, is second in the league in terms of usage, 37.6% uh, behind Joel Embiid, who's had a 37.8. And then Kyrie Irving, a 30, or excuse me, 29.4 usage percentage. So you're really, uh, you're pairing together two of the most ball-dominant 
ball-dominant guards there are in the league and hoping that one of them figures out a way to sacrifice, quote-unquote, um, how much they're being used in the offense. Uh, I don't think it'll be Luka because that's their... That's the, I mean, if, if you want to sign him for the future, uh, which I'm imagining Dallas Maverick, Maverick fans uh, would really appreciate, uh, I don't think Luka is going to be the one that wants to sacrifice in that situation. I think more than likely it's going to have to be Kyrie Irving. And at what point in our time of watching Kyrie Irving have we gotten the idea or the notion that he has been willing to sacrifice for the greater good of the, of the team? We saw it with LeBron. Sure, they won a title together. Uh, and then the year after he won the title, it was basically uncrumbling. It crumbled from there. He wanted to be the guy. He goes to Boston. Uh, he becomes the guy in Boston. And then, thanks to the trade with the Nets uh, a long time ago, the Boston Celtics are able to get Jason Tatum. They're able to get Jalen Brown. They get both of those guys. Kyrie Irving goes down with an injury. Those guys become uh, studs, essentially, because start to get better and better and better. Kyrie Irving begins to lose a lot of his usage percentage, begins to revolve, the the Celtics begin to find a way to involve Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum a lot more. Kyrie Irving becomes upset, and he wants to go to Brooklyn. That's what happens. They go to Brooklyn. And then, uh, you know, mix that in with a global pandemic and uh, some anti-Semitism, if you will, with Kyrie Irving. And um, the Brooklyn Net, entire the entire Brooklyn Net situation uh kind of unravels as well and becomes a a, a bigger problem uh, than just usage percentage. We're talking about more a a uh, anti-Semitic situation, a moral compass situation, and then uh, we're talking about how Kyrie is, uh, you know, thinking a lot about himself in that situation. And uh, that's we've never really seen Kyrie Irving be able to sacrifice his play off on the court for the greater good of the team other than one time, and it was with LeBron James. And, you know, uh, nobody really has ever said no to LeBron, if you will. I mean, that's never happened with LeBron. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it with Luka. He's going to come in as the older guy with Luka. Uh, I don't think Kyrie Kyrie Irving is going to be willing to play second fiddle to Luka Doncic uh, in Dallas because, uh, you know, he's the older guy. He's He's the older dude. He's the savvy veteran, if you will, uh, Kyrie Irving is, that is still making all-star teams, uh, still one of the best point guards in the league. I'm not taking that away from him whatsoever, but what is the end goal here for Dallas? Because after this season, he's a free agent. Are you going to re-sign Kyrie Irving, and then that takes away money from Luka Doncic's upcoming deal, uh, 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 extension that is more than likely going to reset the free agency market because he's playing like a guy that deserves that kind of money after his rookie contract? I don't know. I have no idea what the Mavericks plan to do. And the other thing that bo- that bothered me about this trade is the Mavericks had this person already. They had this person and they let him walk in Jalen Brunson. He's not nearly as good as Kyrie Irving. I'm not saying that by any means, but he fits the same style that you're looking for in Kyrie Irving without all of the baggage. He does uh, essentially a lot of the same stuff. Uh, they worked the same way in the backcourt with Luka Doncic and Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson was was able to take a lot of the load off of Luka Doncic when he absolutely needed to, and then when Luka Doncic would come back in, Jalen Brunson would play second fiddle. He didn't love playing second fiddle, obviously. He went to the Knicks and ended up playing there, and he became a borderline all-star in that situation in New York. So, uh, you know, he didn't 
want to play second fiddle necessarily, but you could assign him to more money than the Knicks were willing to offer, and you would have had a reliable player in Jalen Brunson playing second fiddle to Luka Doncic, who was going to cost you less in that scenario than uh, than Kyrie Irving was going to. And in that in my in my opinion, that makes a ton more sense than having to go out lose capital in terms of draft picks, uh, like guys like like I said, like uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, picks much later down the road, picks, but picks nonetheless that could have been uh, other other capital for. A trade that you could have made in the in this tr- during this trade line trade deadline as well to pair with Jalen Brunson and Luka Doncic. It just doesn't make any sense to me if you're the Mavericks. Uh, you, like I said, to to recap, you're pairing two com- heavily ball dominant cards, guys that do not do a lot without the ball in their hand, uh, and you're paying uh, basically capital in terms of uh, the guys that you're moving for a guy that you could have just signed in the offseason with the max contract. You would have lost out on maybe a couple of guys, some some other key reserve guys, but you would have had the dude without having to trade away those key pieces and and, and trade and picks in the long haul for the same guy that you could have got that just left for the Knicks in the offseason. It just I think maybe the Knicks thought or excuse me, the, the Mavericks thought that they were going to be better without Jalen Brunson, I guess, that they thought they were going to be able to rely more heavily on Luka, John, Luka Doncic than, than they actually were. Uh, Luka, not saying that he's been disappointing, but I think the, the the team around him has maybe been a little bit more disappointing than the Mavericks would have expected, and that's why they let Jalen Brunson walk. They thought maybe that the, the, the rest of the Mavericks team was going to be able to pick up the slack a little bit more than they have, and they haven't. They're basically sitting at the... Uh, Sitting at the five seed right now, and uh, with you know a plenty of uh, plenty of space to be falling backwards, or I mean jumping forwards, but also falling backwards. There's you know basically half a one game that separates the five seed and the ten seed, and like one and a half games that separates the five seed and uh, the eleven seed in the Western Conference. So uh, maybe struggling a little bit more than the Mavericks had expected, and they were banking a little bit more on the role player guys to take a step forward more than they have, and uh, they really haven't so far this season, and that's why they had they got desperate. They got desperate to look for somebody to pair with Luka Doncic and I think that desperation uh ended up getting them the probably the be- I mean more than likely the best available player in that situation uh but maybe one that does not pair necessarily with it does not create the best situation in the locker room for Dallas I guess is what I'd say and there's no reason to expect that Kyrie Irving is going to mesh well in Dallas with the Mavericks. There's no reason to believe that. He didn't mesh very well with the people in in Brooklyn with the team he basically helped create with Kyrie or with Kevin Durant. That didn't mesh very well at all. And now he's going to a situation where he has less power as a player in terms of uh, I mean Brooklyn in Brooklyn he basically got to make a lot of the moves with Kevin Durant. He basically had control of that team with Kevin Durant. Uh, and now that's almost certainly not going to let they're not going to fly under Mark Cuban and Mark Cuban's uh, and with Mark Cuban's team, that's almost not, almost certainly not going to happen with Mark Cuban's team. So, I, I don't know how, what to expect out of Kyrie Irving in Dallas. I don't really expect a whole, a, a whole lot of improvement. I guess I would say I would be blown away to see this team. I mean, I, they have the talent to go up there and be a two or a three seed. I don't think they're better, better than the Nuggets, but I think they possibly could be better than the Grizzlies, even though uh, they did take a step back defensively, I would say. But defense uh, in this league's NBA or in, in this season's NBA, it seems like defense is overall taking a step backwards. So 
you know, I mean, the Kings are the three seed and they do not have a very good defense. So I don't know what to expect. If they're able to dominate offensively, then you can really go very far. But then again, the Eastern Conference is, is loaded with a, a lot better than the Western Conference. I mean, the Celtics are still probably the best team in the NBA. The Bucks can really turn it up a notch if they need to. Giannis looks like a possible MVP candidate as well. Uh, and then the 76ers are the three seed. I mean, those one, two, three, in my opinion, are all better than the Mavericks, I think, playing at their best uh, on both sides of the ball uh, are all better than the Mavericks. So I'm curious to see what happens. Uh, I don't think it was a great move down in the long run. Uh, I don't think the Mavericks are going to be able to I, not even be able to re-sign, uh, re-sign Kyrie Irving, but want to re-sign Kyrie Irving. There's no reason you would want to re-sign Kyrie Irving uh, and not want to re-sign Luka Doncic, obviously. Uh, I think that would become priority first is re-signing Luka more than it would be signing Kyrie, and one of those guys is going to get offended in that notion, in my opinion, and I think you're going to end up losing one of them regardless. So you basically traded away some decent pieces that could lead you to a higher seed, sure, and maybe not lead you to a championship, but decent pieces if you had somebody else there, uh, a la Jalen Brunson, that could have led you to a longer, deeper run, um, and now... Yeah, you're basically trading away half a season for, or uh, trading away those guys for half a season of Kyrie Irving for hopefully hoping for the best that the the defense just ends up figuring it out. Um, which neither one of those guys is very good defensively, and you're going to be playing both of them, assumingly both of them at the same time at your guard positions. All the while uh, trading away one of your better defenders at that top spot in Dorian Finney-Smith. He plays small forward, but he's good at defending uh, the the guard role and uh, so on and so forth. So. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Mavericks. I don't expect a whole lot. I don't think it's going to mesh very well for either one of them. I think they're because they're so ball dominant that it's going to rely. It's going to it's going to ask one of them to sacrifice a lot more off the ball. And I don't think. I mean, all signs point to Kyrie having to be that person. And we've seen literally zero evidence of Kyrie Irving wanting to be that person at all as being willing to sacrifice for the greater good of the team in the long run. I just don't think he has been that person. I don't think he's willing to be that person because he thinks he is the guy. And I mean, rightfully so. He has always been for the most part, the guy, whatever, wherever he wants to go, he could be the number one guy on basically any other team. Um, But there's no reason to believe that he's willing to take a step back without huge issues coming with it essentially uh, in Dallas. So, We'll see what happens with the Mavericks. We'll see where this trade puts them at the end of the year in the Western Conference. Uh, I think they should almost certainly be hosting, um, at the very least, a start at the one of the top four seeds. So hosting a playoff series to start. Um, I think they should move up to a four or possibly a three seed. I don't think they're better than the Grizzlies right now. I don't think they're better than the Nuggets. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the Grizzlies have a lot going on around them as well. So I, they could move up to a two seed as well. And um, then they're facing, right now, the Warriors. And that's a very tough stiff competition for a seven seed uh, and a two seed excuse me so we'll see what happens with the Mavericks uh, a couple other things we want to talk about uh, I didn't touch on this very much last week but I guess it makes more sense this week to talk about it LeBron James he's only as of Tuesday uh, as of recording this Tuesday afternoon um, LeBron James is only 36 points away from the all-time points record I mean it's getting talked about obviously quite a bit but we it's not maybe not being celebrated enough Last time, the, the last time the points record was eclipsed was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, obviously, and he did it over Wilt Chamberlain, which was, and that was in 1984, April 5th, 1984 to be exact. So almost 20, almost 40, not 20, excuse me, almost 40 years ago, the points leader uh, was eclipsed, and I mean, there's no reason to believe if when LeBron breaks this record that he's going to just stop there. I mean, he's going to keep going. He's probably... 
I mean, 40,000 points is a lot, but he's going to be, I, I would say, pretty close to 40,000 points when once he uh, once he ends up calling it quits. Um, and and I think maybe this needs to be, I mean, I, I say it's not being celebrated very much, but I mean, the tickets that to try and go see him uh, are, are going like for like $69,000 a piece or something ridiculous like that. So maybe I'm going a little bit too... Maybe I'm being a little too narrow-minded, um, but it's crazy to think that we're going to be witnessing something like this, and we might not witness it again. Like I'm trying to think of people right now who would be able to maybe even touch this record, and the only thing that you really have to fight for a lot of the stars that are able to maybe push for this record is longevity. The only thing that, I, I, in my opinion, that LeBron, maybe not the only thing, but one of the most specific things that I think LeBron has over Jordan in terms of all time uh, as an all-time player is longevity. I think that's the only thing that he for sure has maybe a, maybe a better facilitator, but for sure a better uh, player in terms of longevity. He's 38 years old. LeBron James is right now. And he's having averaging 33.7 points per game, almost 10 points more than Jordan when he was 38 years old. And he averaged who and Jordan averaged a 24.8 when he was with the wizards at 38 years old. So he is averaging right now, in his 20th season in the league, he is averaging uh, he's averaging 30 points on the dot. Exactly 30 points per game this season. That's sixth in the league. It's 38, ladies and gentlemen. There's not really another game, I mean, other than the NFL, obviously, other than football, but a game where your players break down more quickly than in the NBA, in my opinion. I mean, just the the difference between being a superstar and being a bench player uh, at that age is so... So, I mean, we saw Vince Carter, who was doing it for like 22 seasons. He became, uh, you know, a 10th man off the bench when he was playing for the for the Hawks towards the end of his career. Or I think it was the, the Hawks or the Kings, I can't remember. I think it was the Kings the 21st season and then the Hawks the 22nd season. But he was averaging like 5.4 points a game or something like that. And then we look at LeBron James, who's in his 20th season, and he is averaging... Uh, a 30 points per game. The only other person that is, I mean, the the, per, uh, the other person that is next to him, second place in their 20th season in terms of points per game was Kobe Bryant. And he was averaging 17.6 points per game in his 20th season. That was his final season, 2015-2016. And we all saw Kobe, I, I mean, very obviously breaking down towards the end of his career in terms of, in terms of health physically. So to see a guy like LeBron James in his 20th season at 38 years old play 36 and a half minutes per game, average 30 points, eight and a half rebounds, 7.1 assists uh, during this season is is mind-boggling. And there's no reason to think that he's going to stop after the season. I mean, he's just going to keep going. The the most seasons played as an NBA player is 22, and that was uh, that was Vince Carter. And uh, he was the only he's the only Vince Carter is the only person to have played uh, 22 seasons in the NBA. And his 22nd season, he was playing for the Hawks. Excuse me. So I reversed it. 21st season. He was with the Kings, 22nd season he was with the Hawks. Uh, he was averaging 5 points per game and 14.6 minutes per game. Is there any reason to believe that he's going to, that LeBron James, I mean, granted, he came in a little bit earlier. He came out of high school, obviously. Uh, but is there any reason to believe at, I guess, 40 in his 22nd season, he's not going to be averaging, whatever, 20-plus towards the towards 40? I mean, there's no reason to believe he won't be doing that. Barring injury, there's no reason, given the fact that what we're seeing right now at 38 years old, to believe that he is going to be averaging anything less than 20 points per game and, let's say, 28 minutes played per game at 40 years old in their 22nd season. I mean, what the guy is doing is is incredible. He's only one of six players to ever play 20-plus seasons in the NBA, and he 
by far and away blows everybody else in the water that had been that age. Dirk Nowitzki was averaging 20 points per game in his 20th season. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was averaging 10 points per game. Vince Carter, also in his 20th season, he was averaging still 5.4 points per game. And then Robert Parrish, way back in 1995-96 with Charlotte, was averaging 3.9 points per game. And then LeBron James, 20th season, 30 points per game. A borderline MVP season if the Lakers are able to get into the playoffs and at the very least make some noise. It's just... The only, I mean, it's really the only thing, and maybe arguably the most impressive thing that he has over Jordan. We saw, again, Jordan, same way. We saw him more or less kind of start to fall apart. He came back again the second time when he was with the Wizards, and he was more or less falling apart physically. And LeBron James, at the same, at the same threshold in his life, 38 years old, he is still able. If you were to ask any NBA fan right now if you wanted LeBron James in your team at 38 years old, every single, every, every single NBA fan would say yes, which is, mind-boggling, which is absolutely absurd. At the same time in their life, both 38 years old, we were watching Michael Jordan kind of fall apart with the Wizards. LeBron James is completely dominating and a superstar with the Lakers, the number one guy on that Lakers team, uh, the best player on that Lakers team, which is crazy. That's the only thing that he really, in my opinion, has over Michael Jordan is the longevity. And um, he's just, I mean, he's 36 points away from all-time point trigger. And there's no reason to think that he's not going to at least try to get to 40,000. And there's no reason to believe that he won't uh, nearly get there. I mean, I think he could maybe, uh, just. I mean, as long as he keeps his longevity going forward, I I mean, there's no reason to believe he he won't be able to. There are some times, obviously, where he has, you know, uh, ankle sprains or shoulder issues or something like that. I think just like right today, I think he has like some foot soreness or an ankle problem uh, before he goes into Oklahoma City and tries to break the record, which... I don't think he's actually hurt. I think he wants to play and try to beat the record in Milwaukee where Kareem Abdul-Jabbar started his career off with. I think that makes the most sense. Um, So I don't think he's going to want to play against Oklahoma City and break the record against Oklahoma City. I don't think that makes any sense. Um, I think he's going to sit out against Oklahoma City and then try to beat it in their next game, uh, the Lakers' next game against Milwaukee on Thursday. I think that that's probably what's going on there. Um, but yeah, I, that that's just it's just mind-boggling me, to me to watch a guy like LeBron James after we watched, you know, Vince Carter, Kobe Bryant towards the end of their careers, Dirk Nowitzki the same, really just limp along towards the end of their career, really just holding on to the very last inkling of basketball that they had left on them at the same age whereas LeBron James just comes in 38 and drops a, a, a Easy 30 points a night, eight and a half rebounds, uh, 7.1 assists per night on 22 field goal attempts and a 50% field goal percentage. It's just, you can't not look at him and be impressed at what he's able to do at his age uh, in his 20th season in the NBA. He's a 19-time All-Star now as well. It's just, whew. I mean, I'm not necessarily a LeBron lover. I, like I said, I think Jordan uh, all-time is the better player, obviously, uh, but to see what he's able to do at his age uh, is really setting himself apart uh, in in the conversation with Jordan in just that sense. It's truly unbelievable what he's been able to do. Uh, okay, moving on. That was just something I wanted to uh, to point out. Thirty six points away as of Tuesday. He's going to break it either today or if he is if he wants to break it in Milwaukee, he'll probably break it in Milwaukee, uh, and that would be cool to see if. If he breaks it in Milwaukee, that'd be cool to see him break it where uh, Kareem started his career and to see Kareem kind of give him the old pat on the back at his old home in uh, in Milwaukee. So we'll see what happens. LeBron's going to break it. We'll see if he gets to 40,000. I'd, I'd be very interested. He's he said time and again that he wanted to play with his son, Bronny, that that's his ultimate goal, uh, get to the end of his career and still be able to play effectively with his son, Bronny James. Um, 
And we'll see. I mean, I, there no reason to think that he's not going to do that. Bronny James, I still think, is is two or three years out of the NBA. Uh, one, two, three, something like that. Uh, out of the uh, two years out of the NBA or something like that. And uh, we'll see if. I mean, there's no reason to believe that LeBron James won't last that long. So it'd be very cool to see LeBron James playing. I mean, that would be watching LeBron James play with his son in the NBA would be one of the most head scratching things, most weirdest things that I'd ever seen. Probably that would be high on the list. Nothing makes me feel, I guess, younger uh, than telling people that LeBron James started playing basketball when I was five years old. That makes me feel pretty, I guess that makes me feel old. Young? Old? It makes me feel something. I feel weird. I, I was five years old. I was five years old. I couldn't read. I don't know. Could I read? No, I couldn't read. I don't know. When do you start reading? I don't know. Sometime. Definitely before 10. Uh, all right. Let's move on. Slight Super Bowl preview. That's coming up this Sunday. The Super Bowl is coming up this Sunday, if you can believe it, ladies and gentlemen. Not too far away. Uh, I don't want to do too much of a preview. I like doing a recap more than previews just because previews usually don't do anything. Uh, you know, they they usually amount to nothing once you're actually watching the game. Everything kind of goes opposite. Like, I'm not smart enough about the game of football to know or have any idea. I mean, I'm not I'm not Mina Kimes. I'm not Dan Orlovsky. I'm not any of those guys. I'm not smart enough to know what's going to happen on Sunday or anything like that. They they probably do. Like for the most part, they have a general idea of which team what they're going to kind of approach each what the game is what, approach the game like. But I will say I, I have like a general inkling of of the injury report, so that gives me an idea. I know uh, Josh Sills just got essentially suspended from the Eagles, which is one of their guards uh, for some law issues from some issues from the team away from the team. So we know he's not going to be there. Um, McCole Hardman he came out he got put on injury reserve by the Chiefs. That's a big loss for the Chiefs. Uh, he is also. A partial downfield threat, a speedster, if you will, for the Kansas City Chiefs. So he's not going to play. But other than that, it's really a pretty decent uh, injury list in terms of the two be- the two best teams in the league, as they had been all season, coming in with their best squads intact for the most part. Now we'll have to keep an eye. Patrick Mahomes, he's been dealing with the high ankle sprain. Obviously, that was that became kind of a problem in the Bengals game a little bit more after he tried to throw a pass kind of against his body, and it looked like he put a lot of pressure. On that ankle, that seemed to really reaggravate that injury. But he has he's he's had two weeks off. Uh, I'm sure he's. I guess is that two weeks? Yeah, essentially two weeks off. Um, I'm a, I'm sure that obviously helped that situation. I'd be curious to see how much it's really affecting him. And then Jalen Hurts also. He's been dealing with a shoulder issue. We'll see if he's okay come game time. I, there's no reason to believe he won't be okay. But we'll see if he's 100 percent come game time. And then Travis Kelsey. He was almost scratching that game against the Bengals. He ended up having a fantastic game. But he was almost scratching that game against the Bengals because of an injury he picked up during practice uh, during the, the week of practice uh, against the Bengals. So we'll see if he's 100 percent. In all honesty, nobody's really 100 percent. Come Super Bowl. I mean, come the end of the season, come playoff time, nobody's 100% in the NFL. Everybody knows that. Uh, but we'll see if they can salvage enough of a percentage point, if you will, to be able to uh, come out there and play like 100%. Um, but I think, all in all, on both sides of the football, I think the Eagles are probably deeper. Uh, if the Chiefs have one thing that they can beat the Eagles with, it's, it's been the, the the passing game that they can kind of make up and create. Andy Reid, Andy Reid off a of bye week is one of the hardest things to try to defeat in the uh, in the NFL. But we and plus we also have a ton of storylines with Andy Reid. He's coming back to play his former team in the Super Bowl, which is 
always a fun storyline. He's playing Nick Sirianni, and Nick Sirianni was one of the uh, one of the first. He's coaching against Nick Sirianni, I guess is what I should say. And Sirianni was one of the first firings he had when he made it to the Chiefs. He fired Nick Sirianni as a, uh, I think it was like an offensive output analyst or something like that, one of those jobs or something. And uh, that was one of the first firings he made just because he was cutting positions essentially. And uh, Nick Sirianni was the guy doing that job, and Andy Reid fired him. So there's that. Uh, we get the two, uh, the first. Uh, first, uh, first Super Bowl with two black quarterbacks. That is super interesting, super cool to see uh, from the from football in general. And we're making advancements as a society that we're able to say that we have a two uh, two black quarterbacks being the official the, the starting quarterbacks for the two Super Bowl teams. That that's super cool to see as well. Uh, and then we also got the Kelsey brothers, the Kelsey the Kelsey brothers playing one another in the Super Bowl. That's going to be super cool as well. I wonder what mom's rooting for. Mom's rooting for offense, I think is what she said. I think she's rooting for the offenses to score a lot. It must suck. Uh, that must be a weird situation. I don't, I'm, I'll probably never understand that situation. But as a mother, first, congratulations, Mama Kelsey. I mean, what a job she has done. Okay? You put two sons in the NFL. Round of applause for Mama Kelsey. Good job for her. the whole parenting squad over there. It takes a village to raise a, a child, right? That's the common saying. I wonder what it takes to raise two professional athletes as a mother. Uh, it must take a whole city to raise both those guys. So, congratulations to Mama Kelsey. She's a winner regardless. They made it to the Super Bowl. I mean, two great, fantastic sons. But also, they both made it to the Super Bowl. She's a winner regardless. She can celebrate with the confetti no matter what. Even though I, I don't know if she'd want to celebrate in the face of her son losing. I don't know. Like, how do you go about that? That must be a very awkward situation. Like, you'll get bragging rights, obviously. Whoever wins that as the brother, you'll get bragging rights. But who are you going? Are you going to celebrate? Or are you going to console the son that lost as a parent? I'd, I'd be curious to see the answer for for the, the the parents that are listening to the podcast. Which would you do? Just say it to yourself. You don't have to comment or anything. Just say it to yourself. What would you do? Would you console the son that lost, or would you go and celebrate with the son that won? You can do both, but which would you do first? Obviously, would you console first, or would you go and celebrate? I'd probably console. Not a parent, obviously. Not a parent myself. Probably console, then go celebrate. Go give Jason a big old hug. Say, hey, you're close. You'll get him next time. I believe in you. I love you very much. Okay. You will never be a loser in my eyes. Ever, ever, ever. You'll never be a loser. Give a nice hug, a nice pat on the back. And then you're going into the confetti, having some champagne, dog, duh, with the Super Bowl trophy with whoever, whichever Kelsey brother it is. You're going to go celebrate with him second and have a good rest of your day. That's what you're going to do. That's what I would do. But I'm also not a parent. I probably would not make a great parent. I'd be the cool uncle uh, that's also there. Probably the cool uncle that's also there. You give the pat on the back and then you go celebrate as the cool uncle would do. Uh, but yeah, just cool storylines in the Super Bowl. I'm curious to see what the ads are like. I'm curious to see what Rihanna does for the Super Bowl halftime show. She's got to be bringing back classics, but I don't know. I mean, who really knows who she's going to be bringing out for the Super Bowl halftime show? I would imagine Beyonce. I would imagine Beyonce is going to be there just because... She's a focal. It's she's it's being produced by Rock Nation Records, which is uh, a label owned by Jay Z, obviously, and Jay Z married to Beyonce. Obviously, I have to imagine Beyonce is going to be there in some capacity. I, there's just no way a situation where she's not there. I think, and she just had a Grammy Award winning uh, album, and uh, she could perform some of those songs. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in halftime. Plus, the other thing I want to talk about Super Bowl. Can we stop? Can we stop doing the ads before the Super Bowl? Like I'm getting the YouTube ads of the Super Bowl ads before the Super Bowl. Like let's not why are we doing that? I don't want to see the Super Bowl ad before the Super Bowl. That spoils 
part of the surprise. If you're giving me the Super Bowl ad before the Super Bowl, I'm going to not watch your commercial because I'd already seen it. And then what's the point? The point is everybody's there watching all the ads, the whole game and halftime. That's your time to shine commercials. Don't spoil it early. That's not what you're supposed to do. Why am I getting these ads early on YouTube and stuff before the Super Bowl's even happened? You're ruining the whole surprise of the show. You're ruining the whole surprise of your ad by showing it on, putting it on YouTube or showing it early. Then you're just missing the whole entire point of the, uh, and the entire point of the Super Bowl. Then why are you putting it, why are you even putting it in the Super Bowl at that point? That, those just bother me. I hate it when people, I don't, I just don't. Save it for the Super Bowl, all right? That's the big, that's when everybody's watching. You don't want to spoil it before somebody's already seen it because then they're just going to turn away and look at their phone. I've already seen this. I don't need to see it again. I've seen this ad already. So, I don't know. We'll see what there, there's my preview of the Super Bowl. I, I'm more of an all entertainment guy. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm there for the spectacle because that's what the Super Bowl really is. I get, I mean, honestly, the Pro Bowl is more that where you bring in like the, the big leagues and stuff like that, shake the hands of the people that you're doing business with at the Pro Bowl. And then the Super Bowl, it gets a little bit more serious, especially at the game. But when you're not at the game, that's when that's that's when uh, that's when it all becomes a, a full entertainment spectacle in the NFL. Nobody does it better than the NFL when it comes a, to a full entertainment spectacle uh, at the Super Bowl. I mean, you literally have people glued to their televisions, not looking away for a full three hours or so, because you're watching halftime, you're watching all the commercials, and you're watching the game, obviously. There's there's nothing else really like it other than like movies at a movie theater, obviously. And even then, you still got people looking away from the theater screen, like looking at their phones or something in between uh, you know, a break in the action. And there's really not a break in the action at the Super Bowl. There's really nothing like it. You can't really do it. You can't replicate it in any other way uh, than the Super Bowl does in, in that long of a time span. So... It's always fun to watch. I'm excited for it. It's Sunday. We should have the day off on Monday. I'll just say that. Like, uh, let's be honest. Like, who are we kidding? Most of the people are going to be hammered or hungover come Monday morning. It should be a national holiday. The day after the Super Bowl should be a national holiday. I wholeheartedly believe in that. I'm not normally. I'm not a typical. I'm not somebody that gets drunk and gets hungover the day after. But I'm all for having an extra day off and that being the day after Super Bowl makes the most sense. I think uh, along with everybody else. Um, okay. Anyways, let's. Move on here. There's my <laughs> my short little preview of the Super Bowl as a full entertainment spectacle. I'm excited to see Rihanna. I'm excited to see the ads. Uh, I just I want a good show. You know, it's in Phoenix, so it should be a decent performance at the halftime show, at least vocally, uh, because it's. I mean, none of those football stadiums are really made for vocal performances in terms of like doing concerts there or anything like that. But because it's a dome. It might work out a little bit better. Last one we had there at the Super Bowl halftime was Katy Perry and that one. I mean, we got we got the shark that doesn't know what he's doing. The right side shark. That was a meme for like two months after that show, after the after the Super Bowl. So well, maybe we'll get another meme. Or maybe we get Katy Perry or the shark again. Oh, so many possibilities. Well, I mean, we might just see the shark there in general. That'd be fun. Okay. All right. Moving on. Let's talk really quickly. Speaking of halftime performances, I was watching the Oklahoma City Thunder last night. My team, my basketball team, they were playing the Golden State Warriors. Clay Thompson, again, the guy that I see in my nightmares. Clay Thompson cannot get out of my head as an Oklahoma City Thunder fan. Game six, Clay is something that I will inherently have a fear of. Uh, if I hear somebody whisper, Game six, Clay, like around me, I, I start to get a panic attack. I got to breathe. Like I got to start doing some breathing exercises if I hear that uh, because he has haunted me ever since I was a, a child watching the Thunder uh, as a Thunder fan. Uh, and he went off again, hit 11 threes, 42 points, 41 points, uh, no free throws either, 41 points on no free throws, 11 threes. 
It was that kind of night for Clay Thompson. He hates the Thunder for a reason I will never fathom. I don't know what we did to you, Clay. I apologize, Clay. The Thunder franchise and organization apologizes for whatever we did to you, but please stop tormenting us. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Uh, but I was watching that show, that show, that game, and I thought of something. It was halftime, and if you have League Pass, if you have NBA League Pass, um, you can get all the games, obviously, but then during halftime, they don't have a halftime show that they cut to for each of those games, obviously, for League Pass. They show you the halftime show or the halftime performance of um, of those, uh, of those you know, individual stadiums, essentially, of those arenas. And I was thinking to myself, they were giving a decent halftime performance. It was a, it was a dance, uh, it was like a dance studio that had come in and created a dance. It was a bunch of kids and the parents and stuff like that, and they were all doing dances. And I thought to myself, we could improve this. We could improve this as a society. We could improve the halftime performances to keep people, at least some some of the people, entertained during halftime. Now, most of the time, honestly, it, it makes a lot of sense to drive people away from the the stadium, not from the stadium, but from like inside the inside the bowl to like drive people away to go into the go into the um, into the, the the concourse or whatever and get food and get drinks and stuff like that. So maybe. Maybe the bigger idea is to maybe do something like gross to drive people away and get people into the concourse because then they're going to look up, see, oh, I could get food right now. Oh, I could get drinks right now. Oh, I can buy some merchandise right now until the halftime show is done. And then I'll come back down and start the third quarter. That's an idea. There's one. That's one idea. Drive people away. Do something gross. Okay. Do like a, do like a, like a, you could have like a fake surgery on the court. You're going to be teaching a lot of people uh, certain things. You could be doing like one of those, like they used to have where where you would have like public viewings for surgeries. Obviously, it's not a real surgery, but the, you could do like a mannequin, fill it with all the organs and stuff like that. And then you do a surgery. Like, hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for watching all the way up to halftime. We're going to have a kidney removal for halftime. Not real patient. We're going to have a mannequin, but this is what we do for kidney removals. If you'd like to stay and watch, then feel free and stay seated. But most of the people aren't going to want to watch that. They're going to go to the concourse. They're going to stay away because they don't like blood or something like that. They don't want to see a kidney, a fake kidney removed from a from a, a mannequin or whatever. No, of course not. So you know what they're going to do? They're going to go to the concourse. They're going to get drinks. They're going to get some beer or whatever so that they can wait it out, get a beer, have a little a little bit to drink, go back down to the bowl, watch the rest of the game. They won't even be thinking about the kidney removal that you saw on a fake mannequin with a fake kidney. Doesn't matter. That's one option. You could do that. But if you want to have your people entertained, obviously you're buying. If you're buying a ticket, you're buying it for the whole experience, the halftime show included. So here's my idea for halftime show. This is strictly for basketball, by the way, because it was the one that was on my mind. Uh, and it's probably the one that's easiest to do with a halftime performance, if you will. There's not really, it's like a little bit harder to do for like, I mean, I was going to say baseball, obviously not baseball, uh, but football, you're talking about a whole field, obviously it's a little bit more difficult, uh, and so on and so forth. So, and hockey may be a little bit easier in hockey, but still not the easiest because you're talking about people that have to know how to skate and that becomes a whole thing or whatever. Uh, okay. So, so basketball halftime, here's my first idea. Okay. You pick, let's say three fans out. From the stadium, or from the from the stands that are still there, not getting drinks or anything like that, or popcorn. Uh, you already have the half half court shot that take that doesn't take up enough time during halftime. Okay, you come down, you do the pomp and circumstance. He shoots the shot. He, more than the he or she shoots the shot. They miss or whatever, and they go back, or they make it and they make they want a ton of money, like fifty thousand dollars or whatever. Here's an idea. Okay, it doesn't take up enough time for halftime. So now you got to sit and wait another ten minutes or so, ten seven minutes or so for halftime. So here's an idea. I got it. You do a three-point contest. You get three guys, just like the three-point contest that you see during NBA All-Star Weekend. Uh, you have the balls in the in the on the racks, and you have what is it? Five stations, 
around the court and you bring three fans down. They all compete one round of a three-point contest. The winner gets 1500 bucks. That takes up the whole time, the whole, the whole 15 minutes or close to about the 15 minutes to do it. And then the winner gets 1500 bucks from a local bank or whatever, or whoever wants to sponsor it. And they're doing a three-point contest every night. You're giving away 1500 bucks instead of one half-court shot for $50,000. You know what I mean? That's an idea. I think that would make a lot of sense. You're bringing down people that actually... uh, That's the thing. You have to get a judge of character. Okay, first, you have to be really good at noticing or getting like a decent judge of character from the people in the stands. This is also assuming that the people in the stands that they're picking are actual people and they're not like employees dressed up as fans. Part of me wonders if some of the half-court shots are that. You know, they're just kind of banking on on some employee hitting the shot and they have like, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, something in their contract or whatever that says, Hey, you can't actually win this because you're an employee, but you know, here's, you know, a coupon to Starbucks or something, or a gift card to Starbucks for $500 or something like that. That's the cynical side of me. I, I don't think that's actually what's happening, but you don't hear a lot about the people afterwards that win the $50,000 that make the half-court shot. That's all I'm saying, okay? You don't really hear about what happens afterward. Like, what do they get with the $50,000? What do they do with the $50,000? You, you never hear anything about that. You always just hear about the people winning the $50,000, never afterwards. So, um, you know, I'm a little cynical about the whole $50,000 half-court shot, but $1,500, you can blow through that, no problem. $1,500, enough to change at least somebody. I mean, maybe not their life, but, you know, they can go and get uh, get started on a nice car or whatever, $1,500, I mean, uh, Make it five thousand dollars. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, if you're a franchise or whatever that makes a lot of money, five thousand uh, dollars every week or every month or something like that. Every month, let's say every month. So what? Seven times out of the year, giving away thirty-five thousand dollars total or whatever. There you go. You get a three-point contest. You get a three-point contest down there at halftime. The winner wins five thousand dollars. Bing, bang, boom. You got the whole halftime covered for once a month, and then you know, and then a bunch of fans waiting, excited for the halftime show, at least for that game that month, to possibly win thirty-five thousand dollars. And they're all excited for the person that wins the the five thousand dollars or whatever. So there's one option: three-point contest, just like the 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 uh, All-Star Weekend in. In uh, in the NBA, you get the the racks of balls around the around the arc. One round though, it's not multiple rounds. It's one round. Three guys, three people, not necessarily three guys, three girls, whatever. Uh, all shooting three pointers to try to win the three point contest. That's the first option. They probably already do that. I'm not 100 percent sure, honestly. I didn't know, literally did zero research on any of this. I just had the thought in my mind yesterday when I was watching the game. You know, we could do this better. My second option. This is a this is a big one. This one's probably a harder endeavor to be honest with you. Wrestling match. Okay, like a pro wrestling match, not necessarily pro, but an amateur wrestling match or something. You do that once a month, uh, maybe even more. Who knows? Maybe once every two weeks or something like that. You do a pro wrestling match during halftime, blow people's minds. There's probably not enough time to do that, honestly, but that would be really sick. Can you imagine just at halftime and then they have, okay, Golden State Warriors are leading the Thunder 65 to 41 at the half. And now here comes your California World Wrestling Federation wrestlers, and then they come out and they do like a, a, a you know a ten minute ten minute wrestling match or something like that with like four people. Who knows? Uh, th- that would be cool. I would be, I would be cool with that, like a Nacho Libre style wrestling match or something like that in the middle of halftime. Can you imagine? You'd have you'd have your blood pumping. They would be jacked up of all like crazy. Your heart would be going crazy just by watching wrestling at halftime. And then you got basketball. The rest of basketball, third and fourth quarter for basketball. That'd be fun. I'm thinking like. I'm thinking like semi-pro situations. Yeah, if you've ever seen semi-pro with Will Ferrell, he comes up with these crazy. He wrestles a bear 
at one point in that movie. I think it has halftime entertainment or pregame entertainment or something like that. And uh, and and he wrestles a bear. And I'm thinking stuff like that because the wrestling, the entertainment, the halftime shows, they could just be better. Okay, stop using it as a. And for the most part, a lot of them uses them as like a promotion for something that's going on around the community, which could be cool. Like no doubt, absolutely. I I don't. I think for the most part, that's what you do for your halftime shows. I don't think they all need to be these big events, but I think you should have. Like a decent amount of time, big events for your halftime, for your halftime performances, especially in like these big cities like L.A. Like L.A. should have zero trouble booking some crazy stuff for their halftime performances. New York, same thing. Chicago, same thing. Should have zero difficulty doing some crazy stuff for halftime performances like the world championship of ping pong at the halftime show for the halftime show uh at a chicago bulls game would blow everybody's socks off i would watch that you kidding me instead of flipping the channel and waiting for halftime to be over i'm watching the world championship final of ping pong at halftime at the chicago Bowl, at the united center in chicago sign me up i'm all in for that that would be awesome you'd keep my eyes glued to the screen the whole time watching these guys go nuts over ping pong okay Chicago Bulls NBA, your marketing guy right here okay i'm telling you we can we can improve the halftime scene in the NBA, in basketball in general, we can improve it. I think I have ideas. So NBA, Adam Silver, get at me, please. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. That was a spiel on halftime. You know, guys, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's February, okay? We're getting to that point of the year. Uh, after this weekend, after Super Bowl, we're going to have one good show about football. And then we're going to be getting into some dicey territory in terms of things we're going to have to talk about. And this is kind of the idea of what we're going to be talking about. Halftime show improvements and and the lot. And I'm going to be reliving, reliving my memories of Clay Thompson just torturing me in game six i just got the shivers saying it out loud this is the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about when it comes baseball season after football season is over we might get some great baseball storylines but are they good enough to keep my the audience coming back i don't know (laughs) so we're going to be talking about some weird stuff come uh come the dog days of may and june uh all right really quickly i wanted to talk about to close out here uh, another football topic uh alabama they just replaced uh, Alabama football, as those of you, those of you, most of you probably know, a uh, good football school, I would say for the most part. Uh, you know, maybe not the greatest of all time, but a solid football school. I'm joking, okay? I'm being sarcastic, obviously. Uh, probably the greatest machine in terms of college football that college football has ever seen. Uh, the last 15 years in college football, uh, Nick Saban has created a a a monster of a machine there that just it spits out all Americans and brings in five star recruits that turns into national title contending teams every single season. It's maybe leveled out just a tad. Georgia's turning into a pretty pretty decent dog themselves, um, and Alabama has not you know made enough noise the last few years, uh, or at least. Uh, settled down enough to 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 ask the question of is the dynasty done for a lot of people even though i mean all nick saban has done has adapt over the last 15 years so i, I don't really buy into that uh in 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 that adaption uh i came up with a list he, he just let go his uh, defensive coordinator and then just rehired uh or hired a new offensive coordinator as well because his former offensive coordinator just left to become offensive coordinator of the new england patriots who i'll talk about here in just a second and uh, i wanted to talk about alabama football being able to bounce back from those situations and i behaved, decided to call it the alabama rehabilitation football center for coaches that is the name of this facility uh, that Alabama has put together. It's truly an incredible facility with a lot of incredible names. The RCC, the Alabama Alabama Rehabilitation Football Center for Coaches. The RCC is what we're going to call it, or the ARFC, or I think RCC sounds a little bit better. So this is what 
just going this is back to 2010 so i think saban if i remember correctly started in 2007 2006 2007 something like that uh but we're just gonna go back for 2010 all the way forward he has gone with uh jim McElwain, who ended up after his stint with alabama went on to uh coach at colorado state he became head coach at florida and now is head coach at central michigan granted not a great stint with uh, florida had a decent stint with colorado state uh but not a great stint with florida he kind of got laughed out of the building but now he's a decent coach of central michigan uh also there defensive coordinator uh for a long time under uh nick saban probably the, the longest that we'll see from here on out uh was kirby smart who is now uh doing a pretty decent job at the university of georgia uh he seems like the only guy that's been able to really match um, I mean, in terms of recency match Nick Saban in, term of, in terms of the talent he's been able to put together and the execution of that talent uh, in terms of in recent, obviously, uh, not long haul. But Kirby Smart's been that guy. Doug, uh, Doug Neusmeyer, he went to Michigan after he was a offensive coordinator with Alabama, and then he went to Florida, and then he was most recently the quarterback's coach with the Dallas Cowboys. Lane Kiffin. He went to FAU. After a terrible stint with USC, he came back, rehabilitation center at the RFCC, came to Alabama, said, look, I need your help, Nick Saban, please. I need you to fix me at the RFCC. I will do it. And Nick Saban said, sure, I will oblige. So Lane Kiffin becomes offensive coordinator with the Alabama, uh, Alabama Crimson Tide. Guess what? Leads to a head coaching job with FAU, Florida Atlantic University, and then Ole Miss back to the SEC like no big deal. He's the head coach at Ole Miss now and looks like he's going to be the head coach for the future at Ole Miss, if not brighter pastures forward for Lane Kiffin. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt says, hey, excuse me, sir, uh, Mr. Mr. Nick Saban, please, I have a big problem on my hands. I need your help. I need you to be, I need to, I need you to help me. Alabama, uh, Nick Saban, of course, uh, as captain of the RFCC or whatever the commissioner, the CEO of RFCC said, sure, Mr. Jeremy Pruitt, absolutely. You'll be my defensive coordinator for a decent amount of time. Jeremy Pruitt becomes defensive coordinator, has a decent job, does a decent job under uh, under Nick Saban. He becomes head coach at Tennessee, and then most recently, he goes to the New York Giants, becomes a coach there as well. Not a head coach, but he becomes a coach there. How about this one, ladies and gentlemen? Brian Dayball comes to Nick Saban and says, please, sir, please help me here at the RFCC. I really need help as a coach rehabilitation center. I've heard great things. This is what Brian Dable is saying to Nick Saban. Nick Saban says, well, thank you, sir. Thank you very much for your kind words. Yes, we can absolutely fix you. No problem. Brian Dable stays there for, I think it's one season with Nick Saban. One or two seasons. It's a short stint for Brian Dable. Guess what happens? Uh, wow. Uh, a complete turnaround. Guess what? Offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. He high, he drafts Josh Allen, uh, becomes one of the most sought after head coaches, becomes head coach for the New York Giants, uh, just one season ago. All starts with Alabama, uh, except I guess the road to recovery all starts with Alabama. They also had, uh, Mike Loxley. Comes to Alabama, says, hey, sir, sir, please, uh, I need a little bit of changing on my offensive scheme, my offensive play calling. Again, Nick Saban, help, Nick Saban, Mr. Saban, please, would you please help me here at the RFCC? Nick Saban, of course, takes him in and without a doubt in his mind, says, sure, I absolutely will, my son. Brings him in, now Mike Loxley, the head coach at Maryland, after only a few seasons at Alabama as the offensive coordinator. Uh, Tosh Lupoy was originally uh without or not originally but he came to the came to Alabama said uh please sir I could be a very solid co-defensive coordinator turned into defensive coordinator no problem uh will you help me advance my skills as a head coach and uh, as a defensive coordinator Nick Saban of course comes in and tells him sure open arms come to the RFCC and we will help you move forward in life I don't need the coordinators okay I don't need you guys I want to make you guys better Tosh Lupoy 
becomes becoming uh, ends up becoming better. He goes on to uh, coach with the Cleveland Browns, the Atlanta Falcons, and Jacksonville Jaguars, and most recently becomes a defensive coordinator for the Oregon Ducks as well. So goes on to the NFL. Comes back down as a more, uh, I guess, focused defensive coordinator role with the Oregon Ducks. Steve Sarkeesian literally has a falling out with the University of Southern California, USC as well. Has a disastrous stint with USC. He comes to Nick Saban says, please, sir, as a coaching mogul, will you please help me? I need this help, sir. I absolutely need it. Nick Saban doesn't turn a man away. He says, sir, sure, my son, please come this way and I will fix you. And what he turns him into, he turns him into the head football coach of Texas after just two years, one year, two years or whatever, as the offensive coordinator at Alabama, turns him into the head and the next head coach at Texas. There he goes. Pete Golding, most recently, Pete Golding, defensive coordinator for Alabama, a little bit bumpier, I would say. I'm not the best tenure with Alabama, probably the the bumpiest with Alabama of, of all the coaches, but I mean, really, you can take your pick from the litter. There's like 12 coaches uh, as coordinators, and that's just, I'm barely, I'm, I'm picking the, the, I'm scheming the very top of the foam from the coffee, if you will. Uh, Pete Golding, defensive coordinator for a little bit, he says, sir, can you please help me a little bit uh, with, with fixing my defensive scheme, please, sir? Nick Saban says, sure. They bump heads a little bit. Sure, they don't agree on everything. So Nick Saban says, you know, I'm going to help you a little bit, but I'm going to have to push you forward. Maybe in, a, in an area you don't love. He pushes him to Ole Miss. Ole Miss, he becomes a defensive coordinator with Ole Miss. So really the only one that felt like it was uh, the incorrect hiring or, you know, whatever, uh, however you want to look at it. And then most recently, most recently, maybe the most jarring one of them all, Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien, after a disastrous stint with... Houston, this is a little bit after Houston, but everybody is everybody sees Bill O'Brien as a laughing stock in the NFL. Just a complete laughing stock of a head coach, of a play caller, of a manager of player and personnel in Houston. He gets laughed out of the building in Houston, gets sent away with his tail tucked between his legs. He is a laughing stock of football. Nobody wants to touch him because he's radioactive because of the disastrous stint in Houston. You know the first person he calls? Maybe even the first person to call him, the CEO of the RCC, Alabama Rehabilitation Football Center for Coaches. The RCC. The CEO, Nick Saban, says, Hey, sir, I believe in you still, Mr. Bill O'Brien. It was a disastrous stint in Houston. A lot of people, you became a laughingstock, no doubt. An absolute laughingstock. But I would like you, sir, to be my offensive coordinator. Bill O'Brien says, Sure, sir. Absolutely. I need your help. Please. I become a laughingstock. And you know what happens? Two years later. He gets called back up to the NFL as the offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. The RCC, ladies and gentlemen, must you must believe in the RCC, okay? Nick Saban has churned in and out just head coaching prospects, offensive coordinator prospects, year in, year out. That is what the RCC can do for your next head coach, okay? For your next... Granted, they don't have a great tenure as head coaches, for the most part. Lane Kiffin, he's been fine. I mean, you know, he hasn't been able to really defeat for the most part uh nick saban hasn't really been able to beat him at his own game kirby smart definitely been the most success successful of the people that have left but they've walked in with their tail tucked between their legs for the most part and they've left as better people as better player as better coaches overall and that's the thing i like most about the rcc steve sarkeesian also maybe not the uh most effective coach as as of right now, I mean, he's still got a little bit of, a little bit of time in f- for his tenure. Maybe not the most effective head coach as of right now, but uh, Texas looks like it's coming up. I mean, it looks like they're getting better, and that's all because of the RFCC, the Alabama Rehabilitation Football Center for Coaches. Make sure you keep an eye out. 
for Tommy Reese, who just got signed on as the offensive coordinator for Alabama. Coming over from Notre Dame, where he, you know, it's not like he was bad or anything like that. He was effective for Notre Dame, obviously. Uh, but he comes over from Notre Dame. I put money on it, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to be a head coaching prospect if that team, if that Alabama, if that Alabama offense is clicking. Watch for Tommy Reese as a head football, uh, as a head football coaching prospect uh, for other coaching teams, maybe even the NFL. Who knows? Uh, we'll see. That's what happened to Brian Dable. He went on to be offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, but then after that, became a head coach for the New York Giants, a pretty decent head coach for the New York Giants, I would say. Um, and then also look for uh, Alabama's new defensive coordinator, Kevin Steele, who they took from Miami to. Uh, possibly become another guy that could become a, a solid head coaching hire or somebody that they're looking at as a po- other other teams are looking at as possible head coaching hires if that defense t- turns out to be very good. And of course it's going to be good because it's Alabama. They don't produce anything bad or mediocre, if you will. At the very least, it's going to be a top 25 rated or top 30 rated offense slash defense. And that's just going to come make people come a-calling. That's what we do. That's what they do. Not we. I'm not, I'm not associated, okay? I don't like Alabama, but... I must say the AR, the the RCC is a very effective weapon for head coaches, coordinators. If you're a head coach or a coordinator, if you have been, uh, if you've been laughed out of the building, such as Bill O'Brien, Steve Sarkeesian, Lake Kiffin, if you've been laughed out of the building of your former, of your former employer by fans, uh, by, by players, by former staff or anything like that, if you've been laughed out of their building, come to the RCC, come to the Alabama Rehabilitation Football uh, Center for Coaches. They will fix you. They will fix you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to this version of RCC TV. Wow, that sounds like something that would be real. Welcome to RFC. Uh, thank you for tuning in to RCC TV. Uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, I want to wrap up my show with that. I think that was pretty well produced. We're pretty well done. Uh, I just wanted to take a look at because I was, I was, I saw that they hired a new DC. I hired they, they hired they. I saw that they hired a new OC. I was like, how do they keep doing this? Where they keep producing? unbelievable product on the field with so much change behind the scenes. It just blows my mind every season. I don't think I could look at most of their sideline if I hadn't heard uh, of their hirings or anything like that and name their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator this year. I knew it was Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele because I had to, because I heard about um, um, Nick Saban hiring both those guys. If I hadn't heard that, I probably wouldn't have been able to name those guys uh, if I'd seen their faces. Like I wouldn't have been able to name them. And guess what? If they're good enough, they're going to get head coaching offers uh, come the end of next season or the season after that. That's just how it works at the RCC, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to uh, point that out. I thought it was very interesting, the fact that they can go through so much change in the background and still put out a top 10 product essentially every single year without any issue and then look at, you know, my team, Oklahoma, where we change our head coach once and it's the worst season that uh, we've had in the last 20 years and – they change head coach. Or excuse me. They change basically everything around the head coach every season, and uh, and it still turns out a top ten product. So, I just wanted to take a take a little take a little trip down the RCC Memorial Lane and uh, see what they got going for them for the last ten years. I guess fifteen years more or less. Uh, so. That, ladies and gentlemen, I believe is going to wrap up the show today. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, make sure if you're listening to this pro- uh, to this podcast, make sure you're, you can listen to it uh, anywhere you listen to your podcast. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. If you want to take it on the go, feel free to listen to it on any of those platforms, obviously. If you want to listen to it in your car, what have you, just... Tune in on that. Uh, tune in on any of those podcast platforms. The Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast is where you'll find it. And that uh, that's me, ladies and gentlemen. That's our show. So make sure uh, you go check it out there as well. Uh, but for for now, this. 
has been this episode of this week's episode of the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast, and I have been your host, James Timberlake. <laughs>